The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us on the phone is the author of the brand new book, White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds. Also the host of Roland Martin Unfiltered. Roland Martin is here. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, how you doing? I, you know, it's. Any day that I wake up, I don't have COVID and I'm safe. I feel pretty good. So how are you uh, feeling? That is, that is a very good uh, way to look at it. I uh, the bar's low. The bar's low. Um, well, I guess that's a high bar, depending upon how you look at it. Um, but this book is so timely. Um, and we've been having, you know, I think organically this morning, a conversation about American history as it relates to the insurrection. Obviously, Donald Trump lied to Maggie Haberman and told her that, you know, he wasn't really watching TV during the insurrection. Um, uh, the man lies you know, about lies. Yeah, about lies. It lies about everything. <laughs> we, we got testimony from everybody, including Kaylee McEnany. He was like, he was in the dining room watching TV. We have his live tweets from the day. Um, so we know that that's a lie. Um, but I think the insurrection itself is such an important thing to talk about, even though it is uncomfortable, right? Because one of the uh, conversations we were having in the first hour is that if the people who attacked the Capitol on January 6th were black or any other color than white, um, the reaction and the police response and just even the way we talk about it would be completely different. And that leads me to my first question, which is why was it so important to tackle this issue now that basically what we saw on January 6th was a manifestation of what you're talking about, which is this white fear, but of what? Well, I have been talking about this consistently now for 13 years yep. because so so January 6th was exactly what I said in 2009. John Avalon and I were at CNN. We were ready. We were preparing to go on air and we were talking about there was a recent poll taken. The question was asked, are you optimistic about the future of America for your children? Every group except white Americans, the majority said yes. And I said to John, I said, John, we're living, we're living in the beginning stages of white minority resistance. Even though white Americans are in the majority, they're 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 going to be operating as if they are headed to the minority, which is true by 2043. And I said, it's going to happen. And when you begin, when you saw Glenn Beck saying, "Oh, Obama hates white people," and then when you begin to see the attacks on him, then you saw. The reaction to the Henry Louis Skip Gates thing, and you I mean, we could just go on the Tea Party, mm-hmm. we go on and on and on. You saw it happening. Now, this is the piece that everybody keeps forgetting about January sixth. What what Donald Trump targeted four American cities as the basis for the election was rigged: mm-hmm. Atlanta, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Detroit. What do those cities have in common? Black people. Now. <laughs> Conservatives will go, oh, Democratic-run cities. No, black people. 
And that's what you saw, the assault against the Voting Rights Act, because it is the rise of the political power of black people. And now you, now you, go, now you throw Latinos. September 2016, question was asked, are you optimistic about the future of America economically for the next 10 years? Black people, lowest wealth, highest optimism. Latinos, second lowest wealth, second highest optimism. White Americans, far beyond highest wealth, lowest optimism. What we're dealing with, you know, folks are looking at the loss of power, the loss of resources. When you look at American history, the black success has always been followed by white backlash. And what has been that white backlash? Oh, my God, they're taking over. We're losing power. We're losing. We're going to lose jobs. We're going to lose money. We, you, can, you can go through every step in American history, and that has been the response, and that's where we are now. So the, oh, my God, the economic anxiety, the media kept leaving out the white part. If there's anybody who should have economic anxiety, it's, the black, it's black people. But that's not the case. And so I just simply said we've got to confront this and call it what it is. You saw Bill Maher on his show Friday. Uh, talking about Vice President Kamala Harris, how she shouldn't be on the ticket, and he starts talking about you know Democrats and their identity politics because they only assign identity politics that phrase when it involves black people, Latinos, women, gay folks, not white people. But white people have identity politics. Yes. What's a soccer mom? What's a soccer mom, Jelena? What's a soccer mom? A white woman. What's a NASCAR dad? A white man. Okay. So, so <laughs> when they say suburban voters, they ain't talking about your mama and daddy and my mama and daddy. They're not. And so my whole deal is let's just put this thing on front street. And this is not a white conservative thing. It's also white liberals and progressives. Because when you look at who controls the media and who controls the campaigns in Democratic circles, it's a, you look at Hollywood. It's a lot of white people in Hollywood who are not happy right now. If they're not getting 95% of the jobs anymore, they're mad because they're getting 88%. And so they are rebelling against diversity, equity, inclusion, multiculturalism, because whiteness has been centered in America from the beginning. And now it's, damn, we got to share space with these other folks. And that's white fear. I really, I love this so much. I mean, I discuss some some of what you're talking about in, in my book, The End of White Politics, but I think that... It, it, the basis for your argument is, is really sound. Um, and, and the idea that we've centered whiteness and the, also that it's not an identity, like that white identity politics is not a thing that we play. Um, that was basically, I took that and I flipped it on its head. I mean, the the entire premise of, of, of my book is the fact that white is an identity <laughs> and yes. that we do white identity politics. In fact, we just take off the white <laughs> and, and, and identity and it's just politics. That's what we do. We we're doing politics. We're in the, the white and identity um, is implied because that is how we, that's the premise from which we start and everything yes. else is, is identity politics because it has to do with something, some people that are not white. When you, when you talk about the Tea Party, this is a really important point I want everybody to understand, is that in, in so many ways, Donald Trump was not the catalyst for what we're nope. seeing now. He was the manifestation of many things that came even before him. Can you talk a bit about how even QAnon, something like QAnon, there's a through line that connects back to the Tea Party and even conservatives oh, before that. Well, again, because when people talk about the Tea Party, they actually forget 
the John Birch Society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, and then, and then, of course, then you got the Republicans who yell, well, the Democrats, they created the KKK. So the Democrats did. They also forget there was something called the Lily White faction of the Republican Party. Herbert Hoover was one of their leaders. He became president. Who did they align with? The KKK. Okay, so you can go through history, and that's what people want to ignore. When you look, when you look at the Tea Party, it was this whole, oh, it was supposed to be about economic populism and, uh, oh, my goodness, the rich are taking us down. But that's actually not what it was. Who funded the Tea Party? What was the financial backbone of the Tea Party? Who organized and mobilized the Tea Party? It was white, rich, conservative interests. Folks, go back and listen or read Dr. King's speech after the Selma to Montgomery march. He talked about a book uh, that was written that discussed the bourbon class in the 1800s after the Civil War. What happened? Poor whites aligned with freed slaves and the economic uh, life uh, of the, the quality of life of poor whites began to improve when they aligned politically with freed slaves. Well, the bourbon class was like, oh, hell no, we can't have this. King says in the speech, they used media to drive a wedge between poor whites and freed slaves. He said because they did not want their economic interests threatened. What did LBJ say in the 60s? He said this. When you, uh, I'm going to read this quote. This is President Lyndon Baines Johnson. If you, if you can convince the lowest white man he's better than the best colored man, he won't notice you're picking his pocket. Hell, give him somebody to look down on and he'll empty his pockets for you. And so if you look at the fight with Reverend Barber and others did it with moral money, started with 17 people, what happened? Broke white people said, damn, we broke. Yeah. So when they're fighting for rural hospitals, that's our hospitals. Yep. And all of a sudden, they so guess so all of a sudden they said, wait a minute. When they're fighting for Medicaid expansion, that's us too. Well, guess who benefits more from Medicaid expansion? White people. Why? Because it's more broke white people than black people. When you talk about education, we can go on and on and on. So the Tea Party, it was this anger at these corporate interests in these Wall Street folk. But the folk who were yelling and screaming, they took it out on Obama and completely ignored the individuals who Wall Street and others mostly give to, Republican Party. Yeah. And so the Tea Party became, uh, it was really an offshoot of the Republican Party. And so then they morphed into, oh, we're going uh, to, the, 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 the conservative caucus, uh, the Freedom Caucus. Right. Well, guess what? Those folks were sitting here uh, having their interests. And so now all of a sudden, now we even now to the point of, oh, well, who's benefiting? Oh, they're benefiting. Study done in 2018. Why economic anxiety? Oh, we're losing. They're gaining. When in fact, if you look at the numbers, every time black people have fought for economic inclusion, who improved? White people. Every white woman listening right now, you are the greatest beneficiary of affirmative action in American history. White women. Why? Because of what black people fought for with affirmative action in the 60s. That's a fact. 
Now, people want to sit here and get mad. It's a fact. And so we have to come to grips with the fact that because white Americans stop having kids and their annual white death birth rate, the annual death rate in more than 12 states is higher than annual birth rate. Guess what? They're losing numbers. But when you start losing numbers, you start freaking out. Guess who did that for the last 15 years, Zelina? Europe. Why yep. do you think you have the opposition to African immigration? Yeah. Germany, Italy, yep. France. Because they were like, oh, my God, we're losing our way. No, y'all stop having kids. You can't have a country in the future unless you have people to replace them. Uh-oh, great replacement theory. I mean, it, it's really, really important, all the things that you're laying out there, because I think it makes it really clear for people how all these different pieces connect together. And I, that's what I want people to see, is that none of this is happening in a vacuum. Like, the insurrection isn't happening unrelated to all these other things. Um, the policies that Republicans are putting forward are not happening in a vacuum unrelated to any of these other things. And I, I'm curious if you think that you know, I, I sometimes wonder if the insurrection was an inevitability or if it could have, have been prevented in some no. way. Um, what do you think? No, I don't think it could have been prevented. In fact, I was in Atlanta. Warnock had just won, and I was at a, a, a lunch uh, with his, his staffers. They were celebrating, and it was on television. And every time I was interviewed afterwards, people were like, how did you feel? I said, oh, I smiled. My publicist was like, don't say that. I was like, why? Because it happened. I said I smiled because of the world got to see what we have been saying for the longest. The world got to see what black people said. Black people said, y'all elect this man. He is a danger to the world. But hashtag, we tried to tell you. But mm -hmm. folks didn't want to listen. And I kept saying, America, if y'all want to listen, y'all better listen to black people because we saw that thing coming. And so it is all, uh, if you look at, again, American history. Yep. What has been the reaction in American history to black advancement? Violence. Violence. People have to understand that people were not being fired. Why was Birmingham called Birmingham? Violence. Yeah. Why were people being lynched? You look at most lynching, it wasn't about whistling at a white woman. Right. It was African-Americans achieving economic success. So people need to understand, stop running from, from American history. And, and what is, why, why was the attack on critical race theory and DEI and multiculturalism and all of this here? Because it's like, oh, no, we're not teaching all of that because the, quote, American way has been the white American way. It has been the prism through which we have operated. And the anger is how dare, why do they hate 1619 Project? How dare you redefine America? Well, guess what? It has been defined the prism of whiteness, and we now say we now have a voice. We now have a say in this, and that's unsettling when you always had it your way. I think I think a lot about this idea. I mean, the idea that you would be mad about somebody teaching history. I mean, I'm not saying that history, like a lot of history, is facts, right? Just sort of like stuff that happened, just and then out. there. Right. It's just like straight up like this happened, that happened. But also the people that write history, even the way that we write our own personal histories, like something that happened yes. last week, we have our own interpretation because it's from our point of view. And, and if our point it. of view is the dominant culture, the white culture, there you go. 
um, you know, we're going to write the history in a very particular way. One that usually, I mean, anytime you tell a story to your therapist, you are always the hero. You never did anything wrong. You didn't do right. anything to create the fight. Right. You were in passive aggressive. You were the perfect right. person. You're the victim, right? That's how you're always going to tell the story from when it's, when you're the one that is in power and, and able to be the storyteller. When you think about sort of the, even the, even the critical race theory backlash, um, and we were talking in our caller earlier who was talk, from West Virginia, a white woman talking about how she and the members of her church um, are working um, you know, and reading on about anti-racism and how to be an anti-racist. And I think that this is actually a really important moment in, a, in the country, and that's why people are freaking out about critical race theory, because you have a lot yes. of white Americans, including in rural America, saying, no, there is a problem. I agree with Roland Martin. I need to learn about this. I need to, it, um, you know, rework it is some of the things that yes. I knew. It's challenging what they have been taught. This is what I keep trying. Yeah, I say to black people all the time: the power of white supremacy. It also has messed up white people. Yeah. Okay, and it forces you to say, "I got to look at myself." Uh, the, the people listening may not realize Adolf Hitler sent his folks to the United States to study Jim Crow. They took ideas back. They had segregated busing in Germany. Why? He learned it from America. Adolf Hitler studied American Jim Crow and took many of its elements and applied it to Jews in Germany. That is a fact. The New York Times wrote about it at the time. But see, again, we want to deny, oh, Hitler was so bad. Well, who did he learn some of his stuff from? Us. See? And so you got to own that. And then when people say, well, you're making me feel bad. I feel bad that my ancestors had to go through hell. Yeah. The point is not feeling bad. The point is you understanding what happened and how it still impacts us. Redlining was created by the realtors. Right. It was created. And we still are dealing with the after effects today. The Supreme Court case yesterday, when they were talking about, well, who lives along the coastlines and black people live, white people ask themselves the question, why is it called the black belt? Right. Why were why were black people why do black people only live in this area? Because we couldn't live other places. Right. So here we are today in 2022. And literally, because of where we live, we still are being negatively impacted by public policy because of where we live today, as if we somehow could have just all packed up and moved elsewhere when the laws prevented us from uh, leaving. Jelena, I am 54 in November. I was born November 14, 1968. The Fair Housing Act was signed in 1968. Mm -hmm. You look at, so the reality is, I was born into an America where I was not a full, free United States citizen. My 13 nieces and nephews, are, this is going to blow people away. They are the first generation of Martins born technically fully free. Wow. Think yeah, about no, that. No, it's deep. It's deep. I think about that. I do think about this. This is something I actually think about because – I think I when I would do my Peacock show in behind my head, it was off camera, but they actually like put it 
in my backdrop like computer they they put the image yeah. in the backdrop yeah the it was a spring. photo of it was a photo of my grandfather and my grandfather and my aunt they marched in selma so i think about this a lot i think yep. about it a lot like that i'm one generation removed from the ability to vote right like when 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 the marchers were marching from selma to montgomery i just think about the fact that they were they were marching for the right to have a voice yes <laughs> i mean that is that's never not going to be deep to me yes um my la my last question for you we have five more minutes here um five we can maybe six we can push it maybe six um what? depending upon when congressman torres calls in but my last question here is about how we can engage all of us in sort of multiracial yes. political activism voting engagement like yep. i feel like there's a multiracial coalition that can be born out of even this horrible moment of history yes. um and that can be a political force in the future i mean how how can that come yeah. about you're 100 percent correct because guess what that's what took what king was talking about it took place in the 1800s we've actually seen that what it requires is it's going to require white americans to have honest conversations with white americans about the reality and that means that, and this is what I say in my book, uh, I said black folk can't save all white folk. We need conscious white folk, the Jane Elliott, we need we need 100,000, 1 million Jane Elliott's and Tim Wise's and others who are being mm -hmm. honest about it, who are challenging their own when they say things and do things in corporate boardrooms, in the personal meetings, in households when they're at dinner. We also need black folks and others to maximize our opportunities. You've got to maximize your voting power, maximize education, maximize uh, economically. So when 2043 comes and we truly are majority minority, we are in position to take advantage mm. of the demographic shift. So that has to happen as well. We can't just, well, you know, we'll get to it then. No, a child born today is going to be born, who is going to come of age uh, in an America where they are, white, white America is no longer in the, in the majority. So that has to happen right now. But we've got to have folk who understand how policies are being impacted uh, on certain communities when it comes to economics. And when broke white people, when low-income white people, when white students realize y'all got student debt too, and then they are moving polling places off of campuses so you can't vote. Texas A&M, my alma mater, is, is extremely white and conservative. They are moving it. They move the location off that campus. So voter suppression ain't just a black thing. Mm. It's also impacting young white people. And, and I need all of those young white people who were out there protesting George Floyd to understand black people can't leave the battlefield. They did. The same numbers were not showing up to pass the For the People Act and the John Lewis Act. Right. And so what we need is for white America, white conscious America to understand if you're going to be in the fight, you got to be in the fight and you got to stay on the battlefield because we can't afford to leave. It is a really, really profound point. <laughs> it's so profound. I hope everybody is following and, and I highly, highly recommend um, this book in, in order to really understand this current moment that we're in and the history that got us here it is such a timely book roland and i'm so glad that you wrote it um it, it's just in time uh for for the midterm elections but also the elections we have coming up um and i think it will activate 
so many people that need to be activated in this moment. The book is White Fear, How the Browning of America is Making White Folks Lose Their Minds by Roland Martin, host of Roland Martin Unfiltered. Thank you so much for, for joining it. me this morning. It's always great to talk to you. And I feel like, you know, it's like when, when you're talking to somebody who's like in the same mindset, you're like, validate, you feel validated. <laughs> so this has go. been a very validating conversation, but also really informative and educational for our listeners. And so Appreciate I'm really grateful to you. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Thanks a lot. All right. Please, be well. Please stay safe. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlina. Check in for new episodes every weekday.